Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and today is the fifth installment of my eight-part series on the Beatitudes for online engagement. I talk about the Beatitude, Blessed are the Merciful, and I try to bring up a dimension of mercy that I think often goes neglected. Um, I also share a story that is very personal, um, and so I just appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you want to support me, you can do so by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever other app you're using. Obviously, subscribe. Make sure you follow me over on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also become a patron on Substack, um, or you can uh, support me with the link in the description via Spotify. All right, here is part five, Blessed Are the Merciful. I've been thinking a lot about justice and mercy this year while watching the criminal trial unfold over the death of one of my oldest and dearest friends and her fiancé. On July 30th, 2021, Melody Russell and Sean Bailey were legally crossing an intersection when their vehicle was struck by the car of Alexander Ivanchev. About a mile back, Ivanchev inexplicably shifted his car into the right shoulder, sped up, and ran three red lights before colliding with Bailey's vehicle. He made no attempt to brake or swerve. The force of the impact killed Melody and Sean instantly before their car erupted in flames. Witnesses at the trial described the sound of Ivanchev's car whizzing by as being like a gunshot or a sonic boom. Toxicology reports came back clean. Ivanchev was not under the influence of any drugs or alcohol at the time of the crash. He was not experiencing a medical emergency. He was not racing another vehicle. He was not engaged in a road rage incident, and traffic was moving at a normal flow. So what caused him to operate his vehicle in this way? This conundrum is why the state of Maryland charged him, not only with vehicular manslaughter, but second-degree murder. Ivanchev is no stranger to the court system. He has cases going back to 2011 that include charges like violating protective orders, child abuse, domestic violence, as well as multiple civil suits. More shockingly, he appeared on the Dr. Phil show in 2017, claiming to have achieved a profound state of enlightenment. His wife begged to differ, telling tales of drunken stupors instead. But the prosecution was not permitted to share any of this background information in court. The jury, understandably, was also forbidden from researching anything about the defendant or the case. Ivanchev's defense team claimed that he suffered a head injury the day prior to the accident. He has a tree-cutting business, and allegedly a branch fell on his head when he was not wearing his helmet. His mother and sister testified from Bulgaria that his demeanor afterwards was unusual. He seemed confused and out of sorts. Ivanchev did not seek any medical attention after the head injury, but a radiological scan taken after the accident showed a subdermal hematoma that his doctors believe predated the crash. His lawyers argued that he drove like someone who wasn't in his right mind because he wasn't in his right mind. The jury must have accepted this explanation because Ivanchev was acquitted both of the second-degree murder and felony charges. He was convicted of two misdemeanor counts of criminally negligent vehicular manslaughter, each carrying a maximum of three years in prison. However, one jury member was so incensed when he later found out about Ivanchev's record 
that he wrote a letter to the judge expressing his concerns over the fairness of the trial. Now, criminal history and character witnesses are not relevant to every trial. Just because someone is guilty of past crimes, that does not mean that he is guilty of a present crime. But when the basis of the defense is that the person acted in a manner that was bizarre and irrationally reckless due to a head injury, it seems relevant to examine whether that behavior was in fact anomalous. Ivanchev's criminal history and Dr. Phil's show appearance demonstrate that bizarre and irrationally reckless behavior were actually quite characteristic. This pattern of behavior seems at least as likely as a concussion to impel him to fly through three solidly red lights on the shoulder of the road before colliding with oncoming traffic. The trial was brutal for the families of the victims. Melody and Sean had a whirlwind romance that led to an engagement after only a few months. Sean got baptized in April. A wedding date was set for November. The couple had just obtained their marriage license the week before. Both were only children. Two sets of childless parents went from planning a wedding to planning a funeral. For the loved ones of Melody and Sean, the trial represented a chance for justice and an opportunity for closure. Some fatal accidents really are accidental. The car hydroplanes, a tire blows out, a driver has a stroke or a heart attack. Others involve criminal behavior with a clear rationale. A drunk driver who insists she's safe to drive. Someone speeding through a light that narrowly turned red. A person running a stop sign at a usually clear intersection. However, few car accidents involve such seemingly deliberate choices as this one. Dashcam footage from nearby cars showed Ivanchev driving normally with the flow of traffic just moments before his erratic rampage. He wasn't swerving or speeding before he suddenly moved over to the shoulder and floored it. Do I buy the defense? Was this behavior caused by a minor brain injury? I'm not denying the possibility, but my suspicion is that at the very least, there were other contributing factors. I knew secondary murder would be difficult to prove, but I was expecting felony charges, not misdemeanors. Discussions of mercy tend to focus on the guilty party. Jesus told St. Faustina that the greatest sinners have the greatest right to his mercy. But that's only one dimension of mercy. Mary proclaims in her Magnificat that God has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. David proclaims in Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When Elizabeth gave birth to her only son John the Baptist in her old age, Luke says, her neighbors and kinsfolk heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. After telling the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus asks his interlocutor which of the three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He answered, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus replied, go and do likewise. Finally, the actions which we call the corporal works of mercy deal primarily with those in need, the hungry, the homeless, the sick. Mercy is not just about the forgiveness of sins. St. Thomas Aquinas, following Augustine, defines mercy as heartfelt sympathy for another's distress, impelling us to succor him if we can. For mercy takes its name, misericordia, from denoting a man's compassionate heart, miserum cor, for another's unhappiness. Mercy is, quite literally, turning one's heart towards the miserable. Every time I recall the accident, whether the horror of the crash itself, the profound grief of the families, 
the tragedy of young lives cut short, or simply the fact that my friend Melody is not here anymore, the words, Lord have mercy, audibly escape my lips. According to Aquinas, while God doesn't experience the emotion of sorrow, he does nonetheless exhibit mercy. He writes, To sorrow, therefore, over the misery of others belongs not to God, but it does most properly belong to him to dispel that misery. So my reflex to call upon God's mercy is apt. Articles about the accident and the trial shared by news outlets on Facebook were flooded with comments. Some expressed condolences for the victims and their families, but many others were focused on Ivanchev and expressed anger towards both his behavior and lenient conviction. The comment section on his Dr. Phil clips posted on the official Dr. Phil YouTube channel have been turned off. I suspect moderators closed the comments due to an influx of negative responses after the accident. While I completely share the sentiments of the angry commenters, I can't help but notice that the attention every wrongful death receives is always directed at the perpetrators. We know the names of mass shooters, serial killers, and terrorists, but we do not know the names of the victims. Our culture has actually made an industry out of this. True crime shows and documentaries routinely make the top 10 lists on podcast apps and streaming services. As evidenced by last week's post, I'm an avid consumer of this genre myself. But the experience of this trial has opened my eyes to what the families of the victims are dealing with behind the scenes. Most recently, as the trial of the Idaho murderer unfolds, I just keep thinking of the parents and siblings of the slain college students. They are in desperate need of mercy. These families need their communities to embrace them and tend to their physical and spiritual needs. They don't need cameras invading their privacy or journalists calling for statements. They also don't need the excruciating details of their children's deaths to become fodder for true crime junkies. When we obsess over the gruesome details of a crime, the only moral principle reinforced is one we already know. Murder is bad. When these tragedies happen, we need to push past our intrusive curiosity towards real compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. When we fixate on the accused, we distance ourselves from the victims. In his section on mercy, Aquinas also discusses the sentiment of pity. He writes, A defect is always the reason for taking pity, either because one looks upon another's defect as one's own through being united to him by love, or on account of the possibility of suffering in the same way. Real pity unites us to those who suffer. We experience their pain as if it were our own. That pity becomes mercy when it impels us to act in a way that alleviates the pain of the sufferer. The pain of a lost child or a friend can hardly be alleviated, but it can be shared. I can't close without acknowledging that one of the works of mercy is visiting those in prison. Likewise, in Psalm 51, perhaps the most famous psalm after Psalm 23, David begs, Have mercy on me, O God, in your kindness, and your compassion blot out my offenses. Wash me of my iniquities and cleanse me of my sins. This brings me back to Ivanchev. I would not be a true Christian if I didn't acknowledge, if I didn't in fact pray, that he too experiences God's mercy. Was he suffering from brain damage? Does he have a terrible mental illness? Was he trying to take his own life? I don't know. But as he tearfully read his statement at the sentencing, I found myself asking God to have mercy on me as well. There is every possibility that my own distracted negligence 
could cause some similar horror. Melody was a frequent passenger in my car. I hit a lot of things, including the reflector posts backing out of her driveway and a giant yellow pole at Sonic. She thought it was hysterical. These are things specifically designed to not be missed. I miss them anyways. I pray God's mercy keeps me from ever missing something far more valuable. This reflection has been much more personal than the others. So in your kindness, please pray for the souls of Melody and Sean, for their families and friends, and for Alexander Ivanchev. Thanks for listening.